Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. That means 17 minutes before Mike DeCourcy joins us, but there's plenty of basketball to talk about. On the professional side of things, on a Thursday morning to you, good morning. TJ McConnell, who we had discussed, that's a player that certainly on your bingo card in mid-July, if you were talking about Pacer players that we might be discussing, TJ McConnell was probably not one you thought would be in the mix. But this is what happens in July when you start getting words of teams that might be looking around to trade or upgrade the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns apparently are exploring possibilities or taking on offers for, I guess you'd say journeyman Cameron Payne, who has been a nice player for them, probably on par, a little bit maybe more in the scoring department for Phoenix than what T.J. McConnell was bringing to Indiana or has brought, I should say, to Indiana. Um, according to one report from Yahoo, McConnell could be part of a three-team deal with, I would assume that means Payne coming to Indiana. The way that I look at this, Kevin, as I had mentioned, you know, Cameron Payne averages 10 points, basically four and a half assists per game. Played in, you know, he started a third of the games he appeared, appeared in 48 games, started 15 of them, plays 20 minutes a game or so statistically speaking, you could look at a guy like that and say, okay, he brings on a 1-10 to 10 scale, we are scoring him as a 6 on what he brings on the court. T.J. McConnell might only on the court score as a 4. But what T.J. McConnell brings in terms of a glue centerpiece guy, I just think guys like that are rare, and I think they're hard to find. And you don't – there have been pacer teams – that have not had that guy on their roster at all. There have been peer, pacer periods where they didn't have that guy on the roster. And when you find a guy like that, and I know that the cliche is, you know, a coach on the floor, but just a guy that knows how to unify guys, a guy that with each player, you know, Pacers Brass told me a couple of years ago, Part of the reason T.J. McConnell was acquired was because they had drafted Aaron Holiday, and they really thought that Aaron Holiday was going to be a player that they could groom into, you know, a a two way a guy that could play point or play shooting guard for you in spurts, even though he's undersized. And they they brought in McConnell almost entirely and exclusively to mold Aaron Holiday. He was like a one point six million dollar last minute sign as a free agent out of Philly, and. I remember being told, watch Aaron Holiday when he comes off the floor. T.J. McConnell's the first guy to run out there, and he's in his ear, and he's telling him this, telling him that. And then they were like, but Holiday plays better when McConnell's on the floor with him. He's more confident when when McConnell's, like, that's a security blanket for him. And then Holiday started making plays, or excuse me, McConnell started making plays where they're like, well, we've got to have him in over Holiday. And it's kind of never gone away, Kevin. He has just been a guy that not only is in the ear of his teammates and knowing exactly what – he's like Ted Lasso. He knows what button to push to this guy, what button to massage for this guy, what to say to this guy with kind of the entire roster. And then when he's on the floor, 
he doesn't hurt you when he's on the floor. I think there's a huge value in that. Yeah, obviously there's tremendous value in TJ McConnell. He's had a great run here. I think the question becomes, what would you be getting back from Phoenix? I'm not like the biggest, oh, let's see if you can resurrect the career of Cameron Payne. I, I'd prefer draft picks. Um, it feels like Phoenix probably has none left at this point, but I, I don't know exactly what their draft pick makeup would look like. But I think the question you also have to ask yourself is, yes, certainly it's T.J. McConnell's value, but I'll go back to something I said earlier, Jake, and it's the role that the Pacers obviously tried with Andrew Nemhard in Summer League is, do you think Nemhard is a point guard? And the answer is probably Nemhard can do a lot of things. But if you do feel like he's got point guard ability, then you want him running that second unit, unquestionably. And it gets into such a number situation with the Pacers. And let's say, let's say you keep McConnell, let's say you keep Halliburton. So those are your two point guards. Obviously, you have Miles Turner as your center. Let's just throw out Isaiah Jackson as your backup. So there's your point guard situation, Halliburton and TJ McConnell. Your center situation, Turner and Jackson. That means that the two, three, and the four, these are all the names that you would like to find playing time for. Benedict Matherin, Buddy Heald, Bruce Brown, Andrew Nemhard, Aaron Neesmith, Jarris Walker, Obi Toppin, Jordan Wara, Ben Shepard. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine names for six spots if you're going to make a full starting five, second right. unit five. That's that's okay. crowded. Give me the names again. Buddy Heald, Benedict Matherin, Bruce Brown, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nemhard, Jarris Walker, Obi Toppin, Jordan Wara, Ben Shepard. The, here's the thing about that. And those would be the two, three, and the four positions if you're trying to kind of map out where those nine names would potentially try and fit. Of that list, just my opinion, Jordan Wara, who I like, is the only player on that list that that brings something to the table that you can find. Let me rephrase that. Jordan Wara is the only on that list that doesn't have something that no one else brings. Ben Shepard is an outside shooter and defender with youth. Obi Toppin has an athleticism and a pick and roll ability. Um, you know, Aaron Neesmith can guard in the wing and play multiple positions. Buddy Heald can score lightning in a bucket shots. Benedict Matherin can play in multiple positions, guard in the wing. In other words, what is the what is the selling point of Jordan Wara? I think great shooter, and he is that, <clears throat> and I like him. Eight. And that's a little different than obviously Buddy Heald from a shooting standpoint. And again, I, I just I look at that grouping and think, can you alleviate some of the puzzle confusion with that? And is one of the ways to do that saying, all right, T.J. McConnell, thank you, you bring a lot of value. We've loved your time here, but we feel like it's time to move in a different direction now that you're about to turn 32 years old, and we're going to put Andrew Nemhard in that second unit point guard role, which that that's a big question the Pacers have to answer. Because if that's the case, then you have to give Nemhard minutes. Then by doing that, you would remove Nemhard from the group that I just mentioned, and it would, again, allow for a little bit of an easier, okay, minutes here, minutes there, that sort of situation. It wouldn't totally, but it would do that. Um, 
it just seems like if you look at the Pacers roster right now, there still is kind of one ancillary move that will be made. And maybe it's McConnell. Maybe it's one of the centers. I mean, when you look at their roster. Do you remember? They've got a ton of centers right now behind Turner and Isaiah Jackson, Daniel Tyson. I I guess if you label Jalen Smith as a center. Do you remember a year ago? Not a year ago, a couple months ago. Last season when the Pacers, I can't remember if it was waived or what the reason was, but they, I think it was in the war trade when James Johnson was released. Yeah, for like that 48-hour period. And like two days later, he was immediately back, right? And, you know, James Johnson, a guy that was 36 years old, played in 18 games and gave you two points a game on the average, right? And you're like, and they're bringing him back? It's because he brought an adult-like presence and gel to the group that Kevin Pritchard saw the value in and understood the value in and Rick Carlisle understood the value in. Now, I think everybody knew that once the year was over with, that that, that was probably going to be it. He wasn't going to get another contract. But TJ McConnell, to me, replace, is, is the replacement of that. I know that I'm I'm overstating this, and maybe the guy gets traded today, and then I look like an idiot. But I do think that T.J. McConnell in is terms George of Hill his, that George Hill could be that, yes, admittedly. But Hill again, I know you're not saying this, Jake, but I also think T.J. McConnell offers more on the floor right now than either Hill uh, or, un- or unquestionably, unquestionably. But I'm just saying, I do think that they. I don't know much about a whole lot, but I do know that the Pacers front office has a much higher opinion of T.J. McConnell for reasons that people who buy a ticket to go to Gambridge Fieldhouse probably never see. I'll put it that way. Mark, on the hard, hard knocks meter, how excited are you about the Jets? Uh, I mean, I'll watch it, but it was it was the most drawn-out situation for the most like, obvious like, answer like, ever like Aaron Rodgers saying he was going to go to the Jets in the first place oh we knew this for three months but you know it took forever to get to that point now we've got it's like okay all right let's get the cameras rolling let's let's start doing stuff yeah now, as so. soon as I asked you that question I thought you know what you're you're too biased to answer that accurately because you hate Aaron Rodgers I don't like him. <laughs> Not a fan. No, but I, it's fine. I, the Jets are an intriguing storyline sure. for sure but I just think you know, they were down to four teams for what seems like forever, and they there's been plenty of accounts that said this is the longest it's taking for a hard well, They start camp game. pretty quickly, right? Don't a they week start, to, a week from yesterday. Say, do you think it's possible, though, earlier. that people... Do you remember that year? I think it was when Tebow's with the Jets, and the, and SportsCenter literally was like, Jets camp, 15 minutes. I mean, it was weird. It was like yeah. they were... Do you think that it's possible that this Sal will... Sal Jets camp now? Yeah, and, and I get the fact that... that Hard Knocks is... I, I, I get it, right? I mean, people are going to watch Hard Knocks because of what it is. But is there the chance that this will have some sort of a minor backlash because people have an Aaron Rodgers total fatigue? Oh, I think in general people have Rodgers fatigue slash New York market fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the guy's exhausting. I, he's a wonderful player. He's fun to watch on the field. And I'm not saying he... But it is weird. Aaron Rodgers, you know... I, I don't know the guy, but reportedly, like he's he still he doesn't talk to his parents. He's been like, hasn't he been engaged like three times? 
and, and that they never and he never follows through and he's he just seems like an odd dude man he seems like a I don't think there's any I don't think it's unfair to say he seems like an Aaron Rodgers guy that's all about Aaron Rodgers but after a while it's just exhausting he's one of those guys that claims he doesn't like the spotlight but he loves it. Correct. And so the fact that the camera is going to be on him, like he's, oh, this is a pain in the ass. But he's going to be like, I love every second of it. Right. You know, when you look at the AFC and you look at teams that could kind of break through, we talked about this when Rodgers joined the Jets. I mean, they were 7-3 and three at the start of December last year and just totally bottomed out. So if you go off that, I mean, if they just get competent quarterback play. And again, we're talking about a dude that was back-to-back MVP. But who knows what drama he brings? Just two or three years ago. That's certainly a fair question. Um, You look at the AFC, though, and you talk about teams that missed the playoffs last year that could get in. I mean, the Jets would be in that boat. I mean, the Patriots were in the playoffs just a couple years ago with Mac Jones. You know, do you see Kenny Pickett and the Steelers in year two? What, what, What does Deshaun Watson look like in year two? Again, when I look at this conference... I just can't recall ever seeing it with this much depth to it. Uh, they might not have a, a true competitor to a Kansas City and a Buffalo up top, but you can look at teams like 10, 11, 12 and think, gosh, those are like good football teams. Uh, and that's what makes, I think, the difficulty of the conference so much and why the AFC South is a beautiful thing because I don't think anybody labels the AFC South like those other divisions in the conference. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eight o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. Just a reminder, by the way, this morning, if you are out and about in downtown, it is the 34th annual American Dairy Association of Indiana Ice Cream Social. I'll be out there scooping some Sundays from 1230 until one, but no matter what time you're going to be down during the lunch hour in particular on the circle, would love to see you and get you squared away with a nice little uh, dessert during the lunch hour. Joining us now, he is never the dessert. He is always the main entree whenever he joins the program. Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Also does work with the Big Ten Network. So, Mike, I'll begin with the Big Ten topic of the week. And that is the situation at Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald. Um, is this going to be a long – You know, it's interesting to me because it's a private university. So, like, it, it, I applaud Northwestern for acting swiftly. But is this going to be like a long, drawn-out court case, Bob Huggins-type situation of Fitzgerald and Northwestern? I suspect not. Uh, I, that's not to say that uh, Fitzgerald will not look to uh, to get some settlement. Uh, it's, it's very rare that coaches will walk away from a terminated contract uh, without trying to get some compensation in, in a circumstance like this. But I don't expect that it would be as public as what Huggins has allowed his circumstance to become, which, remember, they aren't the same. Uh, Huggins, Huggins developed from his own conduct on multiple occasions, one in May when he was on the radio in Cincinnati and used a slur, uh, and then, uh, and then the uh, second one, the uh, DUI 
uh, arrest in Pittsburgh. So they, they're not the same as as failing in some way to have a compl- uh, apparently allegedly failing to have a complete command of your locker room and it and its culture. I mean that's what that's what sports are about, guys, in terms of winning, losing, et cetera, is building a successful culture. And, and that, you know, there can be things like this that happen inside a culture that ultimately leads to, ultimately leads to success on the field. There can be. They can exist. But it's not a successful culture if they exist. You may win games, but you are not, you are not sustaining a successful culture. The best programs don't have this sort of stuff going on. You know, the Mike, the thing to me uh, about it, do you, you know, Pat Fitzgerald coming out and saying, like, hey, I didn't know anything about this. There appears to be overwhelming evidence that he, in fact, did know about it. Um, and I asked this question to Greg Doyle, and I'm not trying to harp on it, but I am curious of it. I, from the university standpoint, do you think that they would have taken this as seriously or acted as swiftly if? if the investigation was coming from a media outlet other than the one that the university itself has developed in their own student newspaper that is obviously one of the best in the country and one that they are the proudest of having one of the best in the country, understandably and rightly so. Yeah, Jake, I think if the Chicago Tribune had, if the the people who were upset about this had gone to the Tribune or the Sun-Times, uh, and one of those two papers had written about this. I think the result would have been the same. I think that the dividing line here is, hey, I didn't know about this. It, if it happened once, yeah, that could happen. If something like that could happen in your program and you not know about it. Because part of the effort in creating a situation like that among uh, particular student athletes would be to keep it, the coach from finding out uh, if, it was, if it were a one-time thing. But that's not what has been written about. It's, it's been a, a, a protracted, according to the journalism, the terrific journalism produced by the student journalists at Northwestern, it's been a protracted long-term circumstance that, is, that has existed in the Northwestern program. And if he did not know about that, if, he's, if he is accurate and did not know about that, then that's, that's where you say, well, you should have. Because this didn't just happen once. It didn't just happen isolated. I, I, I would not hold him personally. I, I mean, I'm not in charge, but personally, I would not hold him responsible for a one-time incident that happened among uh, his particular student-athletes. But if, if you're in a situation where it's gone on for a while, then, then I didn't know isn't the defense. Mike, you think better chance we see Pat Fitzgerald in the NFL or as a college head coach again? Well, I, I think I, I think one of the things that's interesting about that is that he had had a lot of success at various points in his time at Northwestern, and so he would have had opportunities along the way to leave, and he chose to remain. It was his alma mater. He loved it there. He loved living there. All that stuff. Uh, and there's a lot to love about uh, that community. If, if you've ever been to Evanston, it's beautiful. The university's gorgeous, and it's obviously. Uh, a place that's very dear to him. So you could understand why one would not want to leave. But they hadn't been very successful the last couple of years. And so I don't know how much, uh, absent all of this, I don't know how um, how much demand there would have been for him at the highest level anyway 
so I, I think when we when we see coaches like Chris Beard get hired again, one can never say never. Uh, it's just a question of whether or not somebody looks at Pat and thinks that guy can make my football program better. If they do that, then they'll hire him. I mean, they hired they hired Chris Beard. Uh, they hired Will Wade at McNeese State. So I would never say that what happened here would be disqualifying from Pat Fitzgerald getting another job. That's not to say I'm endorsing it, uh, that, that, that decision-making. Um, I, I wrote a column in the spring about, my, uh, it, it, about grading various coaching hires. I never wrote a specific column about the decision to hire Chris Beard, but when I graded uh, Ole Miss hiring Chris Beard, you can look at the grades and see uh, I was not in favor of that decision. So I'm not endorsing that necessarily. I'm just saying that I wouldn't be surprised if it were to occur. I'll, I'll be honest, Mike. There's part of me, I don't know Pat Fitzgerald. We've had him on this program. I, I've He was very nice. I, you know, yeah. that, that, I, I don't know him, though. But there is part of me that thinks to myself, okay, second chances, sure. If he were to get hired somewhere as a defensive coordinator, then that means that he is entering a situation where there is someone above him of accountability that oversees things. And thus, when it comes to the ultimate responsibility of young people, it doesn't fall on him. There is someone above him. I could see that being more likely than, than a head coach in terms of his immediacy of next job if it's at the college level. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense. I, I don't know that he would rush back in, in to do that unless it were an elite program, uh, it, if it were somewhere very near the top of the business. I, I think once one's been a head coach and has, and has been successful on the field at that, I, I, I don't think that in most cases there's a, a great rush to return to a uh, a lesser job unless it becomes obvious that there's no other way to get back to that pinnacle. And as I said, what happened here, it doesn't make uh, Fitz a bad person. It just meant he, uh, that if, if this is all true, and, and again, we're, I think it's the fact that this has happened suggests that it is, um, I, I think it, it, it suggests that he didn't do a good enough job. He he didn't, but one doesn't, you know, he wasn't someone, uh, it wasn't a list that he was participating in these things, but uh, so I, I think that, I, I do think that he can get back in uh, as a head coach, depending on where he wants to move and to the level he wants to move. Uh, remember, he wasn't the coach at Alabama uh, or Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan winning national championship or contending for them. He was a coach at Northwestern who was doing extraordinarily well by Northwestern's historical standards. Okay, but hypothetically, Mike, devil's advocate here, Northwestern this last year was 9-3, and three, and they are coming off a 10-win season, and then this happens. Does Pat yeah. Fitzgerald lose his job? Yes, I think he would. Okay. Yes, I do. Uh, I, I think that, the, as I said, it's because this was not presented as something that happened once, um, because this was presented as something that had happened over a period of time, yes, I do think he would have. I, I think the fact that, uh, you know, remember, they, they initially suspended him for two weeks without pay in the summer before the uh, Northwestern Daily uh, story started to appear, I think it was late last week. Uh, when, when, those ha- when those happened, then the chemistry of this changed. 
so I, I do think that even if they had been great last year, they would have felt compelled, just as West Virginia, after multiple circumstances, uh, felt compelled to remove a coach that they didn't want to. I mean, he was an alum. He had taken in the Final Four, made the Hall of Fame on their watch, uh, and had gotten them back to NCAA tournament last year and had built a, a pretty promising roster for 23-24. They didn't want to fire him, but he just didn't leave them. Or, excuse me, they didn't want him to leave. They didn't fire him, but they didn't want him to have to leave. Um they just it got to the point where it just couldn't continue, and I think that that's the point that was reached at Northwestern when when these articles appeared uh, last week. Yeah, Mike DeCourcy's with us, Sporting News, Big Ten Network. You can follow him, TSN Mike, uh, on Twitter. Uh, talking a little bit everything from a college sports standpoint here with Mike shifting gears. Uh, I, I almost am kind of asking for an update and maybe a little bit of education here, Mike. Where are we at on transfer portal? guidelines uh, what if any are in place and are we have we reached the end of like the covid cycle because i know with you know that the extra year due to covid you know it's free reign for everybody to kind of take advantage of that extra year where are we at if any on one-time transfers and things like that yeah i think first of all uh we we, we still have a lot of uh one i think we have we expected to have one more season of COVID play, uh, players using the COVID year. Okay. Uh, one, one more season. There might be some stragglers out there because of an injury red shirt situation, but the, the vast majority of them are expected to cycle out after this season or next. So it, it, it is something that's impacted the college sports landscape in an underrated way. Uh, there, there, uh, there's a lot of talk about devaluing high school players. Uh, I read, I read an article about, uh, high school players not being that attractive to, uh, to programs now because they can go and, and in, instead uh, uh, go out and get guys in the transfer portal. And there was one quote from a coach uh, who said, if you're the, 60, you're the 60th rated player in a class, you're, in, you know, you're basically hosed now. And I'm thinking, wait a second, did I just not w- watch Purdue win dual Big Ten championships with one guy rated 198 and the other guy rated like 85th? Uh, who started there in the backcourt. I don't think it's that dire uh, that we're at that position now, but it has been impacted by COVID, uh, and, and it has made a difference. I, I think the transfers will come down uh, as the COVID uh, circumstance clears itself up. Uh, it'll still be rampant for relative to uh, 10, 15 years ago, but it, will, it won't be 1,800 players any longer. It'll probably be closer to 800 to 1,000 each year that will go looking uh, for new homes. I, I, there may be some changes in the dates, but they've, they've talked about it. Last season, uh, the open time for transfers uh, began, uh, I think, the day after Selection Sunday, whatever the Monday was, 12th or 13th of March, whatever that Monday was. That's when you could say, okay, I'm ready to go. Of course, for active players in the tournament, that's not really feasible. If you're, if you're, if you just, if you just got announced on the bracket, on you can't say on Monday, I'm out of here, uh, and then expect to play on Thursday or Friday. That they're not going to let that happen. So those players have to wait a little bit until they're eliminated or win the championship to decide whether to take another step. There may be some movement on that to move it till after the final four. Uh, or to late March, but I think that's a, I think that's a, a a bit of a challenge for the 
athlete because it doesn't give you much time to find a new home. If you're, if you're not starting the process until basically April, I mean, that gives you only maybe a month to the end of your own semester at your, at the, at your current school to look around and decide whether you want to, to find a new home. I, I don't think that's enough time for men and women's basketball uh, and so I, I think that that I think we're probably going to end up seeing them stick around that end of the regular season, uh, beginning of uh, postseason. Mike DeCourcy is our guest. Of course, he is with Sporting News. He is on the Payless Sugars Hotline, also with the Big Ten Network. Uh, Mike, before I get to a soccer question for you, I did want to circle back to because, uh, as I've always said, you are the authoritative dean of college basketball. And so with the Bob Huggins situation, I want to go back to that. For those that are unfamiliar, Bob Huggins, of course, had a situation, as you had mentioned, um, some inappropriate comments on a radio station that cost him uh, a penalty in terms of pay. Then shortly thereafter, a DUI. And then he sent a, a he posted the following Message from Bob Huggins to the WVU community, Mountaineer Nation. Today I have submitted a letter to President Gordon Gee, or G, I'm not sure what you pronounce it, and Vice President and Director of Athletics, Ren Baker, informing them of my resignation and intention to retire as head men's basketball coach at West Virginia University, effective immediately. End quote. He now says that wasn't actually a resignation. Where do we stand here? Uh, I, I don't think there's any question that West Virginia is not – opening its door to, to, for Bob to return. They are, they are open to honoring him at a future point in some way, shape, or form, uh, but they are not open to him being employed there. Uh, he may be trying to get a settlement out of West Virginia in the way I discussed uh, earlier. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald may be trying to get, uh, at maybe at some point, trying to get some money out of Northwestern. Um, but I, I, I have no doubt he will not be the coach at West Virginia next year. Uh, there won't be any way to compel him to do that. It, it, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that's interesting about this circumstance is that, uh, that they, they could have, if they wished, fired him for cause under these circumstances. They could have. I mean, I... I I, without reading his contract and all that, I mean, it, it wouldn't have been unusual, let's say, for a college in West Virginia's position to fire a coach for cause for a, the, a coach who did what, uh, what Bob Huggins is alleged by the Pittsburgh police to have done. Uh, so it wouldn't have been unusual. So I, they wanted him to resign because they felt that it would look better, uh, feel better. Uh, he was an he was an all he was a a great player there. He was one of the greatest coaches they've ever had, maybe the greatest. Uh, and they didn't want him to, uh, to. They didn't want to have to fire him. The resignation was the best outcome available under those circumstances for both parties. And I, I you know, I, I've known Bob for a very long time. I covered him very closely uh, for four years as the beat writer. Uh, for the Cincinnati Bearcats uh, when I was working at the Cincinnati Enquirer. So I've known him a long time, and I hate seeing this become uh, his legacy, so to speak, or, or, his, or the last chapter of his legacy. Uh, I don't know where the advice is coming from, from he, for him to do this or whether or not he's just doing it on his own, but he's, this is, there is no win available for him here, even if he gets more money because he doesn't need more money. He's got plenty of it. So there's no win here. This is all a loss for Bob Huggins. 
Mike, last one from me. From a Big Ten standpoint, and, and obviously things can you know, flip and pretty much snap your fingers, but we've seen a commissioner change here recently. Uh, do you think we'll get any sort of expansion from the Big Ten, whether it is a Pac-12 school, whether it's Notre Dame? Do, do you see any of that on the immediacy? No. No, I mean, I, I never is a long time, but sure. what ha- has to be remembered here is that I don't know the exact dollar figure. There have been various reports, but let's set it at $70 million. It's somewhere in that ballpark, 65, 70, but let's say the number is 70. There isn't any school out there that isn't already a happy member of the SEC or a, or an entrenched contractually obligated school in the ACC until 2036 that would even come close to being worth $70 million two television networks to add them to the Big Ten. I think North Carolina is the closest there might be in terms of their market, which is continuing to grow, and the, the popularity, which is pretty high, uh, certainly in basketball. Football, a little less so, but they've done well in football as well. Uh, it, it, there's no one that's in that neighborhood. It, so what you're asking, essentially, theoretically, would be asking Wisconsin and Indiana and Iowa and, and Purdue to do is say, well, here's, take a pay cut out of your 70 so that we can invite these schools in. Well, why? So we can be bigger. What if why? it was Notre Dame and Stanford? Notre Dame is different. Notre Dame, the door is always open. Right. But it's not open for Notre Dame to leave the, the, the uh, ACC. They're under that same contractual obligation until 2036. Now, they may decide that they, at some point that they would want to write that check to get out of it. But you guys have lived here for a long time. You followed the Irish. They are as committed to independence as any athletic program. I think they're more committed to independence than any program I've seen is committed to winning. They love being an independent. I've never been able to figure it out. I've never been able to find anybody who can explain it to me. But, they, but it's what they want. Uh, and I know there's a negotiation out there now about what they're going to try to get out of uh, their next television partner, whether it remains NBC or someone else, and what the number is. They'll get close enough that they'll be happy. I don't know exactly where they'll land, but they'll get close enough to the number that's being reported that they'll be happy and content to remain independent. It's it's what they believe that they need to be as as a football program. As I said, I don't understand it, but it's what it's what they're committed to, uh, and so and 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 I I respect their commitment. I don't like I said I don't understand it, but I respect it because they are so much in, on that side of the ledger. And just to add one thing, their new athletic director after Jack Swarbrick is Pete Bavacqua coming over from the as the president of NBC. So I, I would say it's a fair guess that they will continue to be on NBC <laughs> moving forward. Hey, Mike, before we let you go, I know that you are also a soccer enthusiast. Um, I thought last night was fun. It, it was a great crowd. It was a good atmosphere in San Diego. Obviously, Panama defeating the United States Gold Cup semifinals. My understanding is, and I say this very peripherally as a soccer person, or, you know, as an observer of soccer, uh, disappointing, but not necessarily like a major blow to the U.S. soccer program or franchise, correct? Yeah, because what you saw, if you watched last night on FS1, was probably uh, USA 2.5. It's probably not, not USA 1.0, the best team that they have, the A team. This was probably B to B minus. 
it, it, it was a good team, but not an elite team by U.S. standards. The, there were very few of the uh, terrific European uh, players that are playing in Europe, Christian Pulisic, uh, Tyler Adams, players like that. There were, there were essentially none of those players on this team. Uh, this, was com- uh, this team was composed mostly of MLS-based players uh, who are there to provide depth to the team. Uh, they, they, they probably could have played better than they did last night. I think they were a little bit weary. Uh, they, uh, they, they just looked tired, I think, maybe from going 120 minutes to beat Canada on Sunday. They just looked tired. They didn't have a lot of spark. It's not, it's not important uh, in terms of what it means for the U.S. It had been nice to win, uh, to be able to say like they did in 2021, hey, we beat the whole uh, region with our B team uh, as they did then. Uh, they, they couldn't this time. Uh, it's, it's the, the fact that they won the Nations League, which included all those players that I mentioned before, that was much more important, and they won it easily. Uh, they dominated Mexico and defeated Canada pretty handle, handily. Uh, those were much more important wins, and as is the Women's World Cup that begins next weekend, uh, a much more important exercise for American soccer. Yeah, Australia, New Zealand coming up for the Women's World Cup. Uh, Mike, I know things are going to really ramp up for you here over the next month or so, so enjoy the rest of the summer, and uh, we'll certainly be chatting with you here when college sports uh, pick up steam here in the fall. Thanks, fellas. Always a pleasure. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Right, 9 o'clock hour here. Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports Sideline, joins us right now. JJ, good Thursday morning to you. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Jake. It's been a while. It's good to talk to you. When you say it's been a while, is that a shot at us for not asking you to come on? No. I, you know, I think uh, it's not in season. I know there's been a little bit to talk about, but some of the topics over late June and July with free agency, I'm not even allowed to talk about. So I, I understand. And if you had me on all the time, it wouldn't be fresh and exciting, right? Look at that. It's a great, great PR. That's a great press release you just wrote there on the Jeremiah Johnson appearances on the show. Yes, the moratorium certainly hinders what you can talk about, but I think we're good to go on that front. Um, let's just start overall, JJ, with Summer League. Uh, what have you liked by what you've seen so far out of these three games? Well, initially, the headliners were the fact that you were going to get a chance to see Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard and Isaiah Jackson. And I think that helped make it one of the more anticipated starts to summer league in, in recent years. And, you know, when I was asked before those first two games what you wanted to see, you wanted to see those guys stand out from the rest of the competition. And I think they did that. You know, they're, they're, there's a reason that they're all still playing there, or at least had that experience is because they've got some things they need to work on but you look at them compared to some of the rookies not just their physique and and their build and their strength but just the confidence and the way they carry themselves I was happy to see them take that next step and even you know show some leadership when you're a rookie in the NBA and Isaiah Jackson even as a second year player last season you're still eyes wide open and you're still learning from the vets and in a summer league experience like that they were the vets and so I thought they did a good job of 
of taking the leadership. And the Pacers could not have been more impressive in the first two halves of those first two games of Summer League. And then it was a little bit of a step back yesterday, but you expected that with not having those three players and then the Thunder having some vets on their team playing in the game. Um, but I, I can't you know, finish this answer without saying that Jairus Walker has really impressed me, and I think everyone is really pleased with what the Pacers were able to get uh, at the top of the lottery. JJ, is Andrew Nimhart a point guard or a shooting guard? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's good for him that in this era, it doesn't, you don't really have a label. You are a guard, and I, I don't know if he's better at one or the other. I tend to say if, you know, if I had to pick just one, I think he's probably a point guard. But uh, the playmaking, if you have two playmakers on the court and two guys that can shoot at the same time, if you're playing some combinations where he's out there with Tyrese Halliburton, I think you have a lot of options, and it, it makes it tough on the defenses to know, all right, well, this guy is going to actually penetrate and drive and create, and his name's not Tyrese Halliburton. So I like the versatility that he provides, but if you had to ask me what his biggest strength is, I kind of think he's a point guard. Okay, I, and I'm assuming – I agree with that, by the way. JJ, you were not listening to the program earlier when we were talking about the Pacers, correct? I was not. Okay. So, and that's a good thing in this scenario because I was talking about a player. I want you to finish for me who I'm talking about. So we're we're scoring how obvious this might be. A player that initially was brought in for probably off-court intangibles that each time they got on the court, the franchise realized, gosh, it's kind of hard to keep this player off the court because he does really good things on the court that you don't necessarily think he would. And even as other players are accumulated at his position, it's going to be hard to keep him off the roster because the front office sees such value in the intangibles and the camaraderie that he creates amongst his teammates. That is who? That's probably T.J. McConnell. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, yes, but I would say it's not just the intangibles when you look at the way he played last season and specifically how he improved his shooting. Uh, there are some similarities with Ian Andrew Nemhard that you know you're you would have been you know crazy to say this maybe two years ago that well yeah T.J. McConnell can actually play some two guard or he can play some off the ball now he's not going to ever I don't think be in the three point contest All Star Weekend but he can be on the court in a dual playmaking role as well and so if you had those three guards as point guards and you found some way with your minutes to play them together and then you've also got Benedict Mather and whether that that's why I think it's good he's accepting some some time at the at the three. Um so maybe he could play with two of those guys at the same time. Uh I think that, that McConnell is still not at the point yet where you just want to say, well we've we've got his replacement. It's Andrew Nemar, he's the backup point guard. Because Andrew Nemar did play and start all those games as you mentioned uh, as the two guard, so I think T.J. McConnell has brought great value to the franchise, some stability. He's someone that gets the crowd energized, and I've said a lot of different times you need a lot of different kinds of personalities on a team, and that's where you know we've talked on this show about Buddy Heald and some of the things that he brings to the team. T.J. McConnell brings a little bit of a different swagger and a little bit of a different intensity level that you just have to find a spot for him. Now the question is, can you always find 
playing time because nine-man rotation is sort of natural in the NBA. Early in the season, maybe you play 10, and he's never complained about coming out of the game. The question is there's been times when he's had it really going, then he finishes and someone else is not going to play at the end of the game. So I think it's a dilemma. It's a pleasant problem to have too many players that you trust and that are capable. But I do think that T.J. McConnell specifically brings some things that you don't have uh, just in with his experience, with his tenacity, that you don't want to just forget about, even as with these other young players developing. Jeremiah Johnson with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Obviously, you see him pre- and post-game sidelines with Valley Sports. And what are we, probably, I don't know, two months? Yeah, two months-ish, two and a half months probably away from uh, training camp and, and getting into those preseason games as the Pacers get things started here after their summer league uh, concludes. JJ, roster questions. I'll throw two at you. Feel free to either play off of them or add to those. A couple of roster questions I have right now for the Pacers. What are they doing behind Miles Turner at center? Because I feel like there's a lot of them. And then how do they divvy up those minutes for the guards and wings? Because, again, I think it's a good problem to have, but I think there's a lot of guys in that kind of 2-3 range. Uh, Again, feel free to play off that or add to any roster questions you have right now. There have been years, Kevin, where you went into training camp and you knew these were your set starting five and these were your your backup five and – the guys wearing the yellow jerseys, you know, you didn't think they were going to have a chance in practice to go up, to move up a spot. I do think that this year in training camp, there's going to be more competition. There's going to be opportunities. You know, we don't even mention Aaron Neesmith or Jordan War in any conversations in the last month or so because of the players that have been brought in. But they had really productive seasons. And in March and April, we were talking about what a bright spot they were in this season because of what they were able to do when given an opportunity. So I'm not sure how you're going to divvy up the playing time with specifically the guards and the wings. I'm really fascinated, though, to see how Buddy Heald handles everything because I don't think he's going to take the the starting spot and just say it's okay, someone else can start. But if he's back and if he's bought in, there's a really good chance that at some point this season, and maybe it's even from day one, that his best role is the sixth man, the sharpshooter off the bench, the guy that maybe doesn't start a game, but that maybe sometimes is the guy on the court finishing a game. So um, that's the one guy I'm most interested to see what happens. I still think you've got to go into this season where, you know, Halliburton and Matherin, you got to see what those guys look like playing together and in your starting five. And then who's that other backcourt wing type of player? You know you've got Miles Turner, but then the other question is, is that the four um, – I think Obi Toppin is going to get every opportunity at that spot. But I also, much like I said uh, about Buddy Hield, I don't think Aaron Neesmith, who started a lot at the four, is just going to gladly say, "Hey, Obi, it's okay. It's your position. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go to the background." So that's what training camp's going to be. Uh, going to be really exciting. And then the bigs. It's logical that of the centers, one of them is is not there. Uh, you know, when you've got. Uh, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, Miles Turner, and then you've got Daniel Tice. Everyone thinks, well, Daniel Tice won't be there, but I, they really like Daniel Tice, and he's brought a lot of things. And if you're going to be a team that is really ready to make that next step and to be a playoff team, not a rebuilding team this season, then a guy like Daniel Tice does have a lot of value. And I think people so, sort of uh, maybe underestimate him because he was billed as a throw-in. He was injured a lot. His age is a little bit different than the rest of the core. 
But it would not shock me if he's back. At the same time, if he's of value to another team, then I could see him getting an opportunity to go elsewhere. So there probably is another move to be made with the center group. I don't think if all four of those guys are back and one of them's not playing, I don't think that person would be particularly happy. And the way they're going to play probably with one center and maybe a, a smaller four, you'd maybe would have two of those guys not playing. So that's, that's not good for any of those guys who have had a lot of experience in the league. It's okay if you've got a younger player. Um, but I could see something happening with one of those centers. Jeremiah Johnson's our guest. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. You, of course, see him on sidelines for Pacer Games on Valley Sports Indiana. JJ, uh, recently on Twitter, a guy named Paul, uh, Paul Coffee, by the way, um, said to me, uh, you're nothing but a coward. You're a little man. You're just like everybody else, a libtard. Are you sheltered in your bathtub yet? Later he mentioned he's from Peru, Indiana. Uh, I was curious, how long have you used the alias <laughs> that was not me, no. You uh, sure that's not I your burner no account? account? JJ's next door I mean, neighbor growing up there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I, and I'm and i a big fan of Peru. I wave the flag for the hometown, but I cannot endorse every single person uh, in that city. Rock Hollow Golf Course. Let's go, JJ. Great, great establishment <laughs> up there in Peru. Uh, in- and uh, I should say, we have discussions about this every once in a while. Starting Saturday and for the next eight days... The world's largest amateur circus begins in Peru, Indiana at Circus Festival Week. So, Hell yeah. if you're ever going to go, if you're ever going to go visit, uh, next week is the time. I that, thought the best I, Western off 31 is going to be popping. With I thought the, that with, was with West Virginia viewers. basketball, actually. Oh, geez. So, the, the the world's largest amateur circus begins when Saturday, and the festival actually goes Monday through the following Saturday. Parade Day, which is always one of the best days in Peru, is uh, a week from Saturday. Do they use animals in the circus? It is uh, amateur circus. It's not an, your traditional that you would think of animal circus. They have in the past had an elephant act. I don't know if that's returning, but uh, it's it's all youngsters emphasize the amateur, and they do some amazing high wire flying trapeze. Uh, Is that your ringtone in the background we're hearing? <laughs> he, he probably can't hear it, right? JJ, you never oh, you never great. participated, right? Up. I did one year, uh, so I, I can't say that I ever. Uh, was flying through the air on the flying trapeze, but I did get that experience, and a lot of youngsters in Peru uh, get a great experience all summer, and they put on a fantastic show. What, so what was your role? I, me to, to support us. What did you do? Were you like a tumbler? Did you? Jake wants to spend twenty five yeah, minutes on this. Jason. I do. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. I apologize. Uh, I was in Roman ladders and side by side which are kind of the stepping stone acts to the bigger and, and more dangerous acts. But Roman ladders is sort of how it sounds. There were three, usually boys in the middle, and then you had lighter uh, athletes on the side of the ladders, and you moved the ladders in and out, and they would do tricks as the ladders moved. And then side-by-side side was a, a double trapeze that you just did some tricks as a, as a first grader that uh, maybe you wouldn't have thought of that a first grader could do. Probably good to know, like the Pacers have a backup option for a halftime show if all else fails, and you know snow doesn't allow quick change to get into the arena. They can just throw JJ out Fantastic. there with a, with a ladder. Quick change, by the way. Unfortunately, no more. Uh, JJ, any chance to listen to the Tyrese Halliburton appearance on the Paul George podcast? 
Uh, I'm about halfway through it, actually. I, I started to listen to it, and then I got interrupted, and I didn't get to finish all of it just yet. But uh, I did I did partake, and I do plan to finish later today or tomorrow. Thoughts so far? Uh, you know, I, I thought it was... It was fun to hear them interact together. You know, Paul has grown a lot from when he first, you know, came into the NBA. He's always been a good interview, but it was fun to hear him sort of take the lead in in a podcast like that and and steer the the ship, so to speak, and take it in different directions. Um, I, I really did appreciate what Paul had to say about the training staff, and I do... I think it was good. At first, I was like, oh, no, where's he going with this when he started talking about the fines and how strict everyone was. But uh, I think he it was good to hear him say that there was some benefits to that and that Tyrese was okay with that, too. I don't picture the Pacers as one of these stringent, uh, strict organizations, but I do know you're in the NBA, and if there's a time at 930 that you're supposed to be in the training room, that doesn't mean 931. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with a little fine. I've been threatened with fines before uh, for a few things, but I've never actually had to pay. I think they understand my bank account. What what possibly could you have done other than keeping your headsets on too loud during the national anthem? What, What possibly could you have been fined for? (laughs) <laughs> well, it wasn't for being late, but uh, this is just another random story. But there was one time in Portland when I was having severe back pains and one of the massage therapists was working me out. However, it was the same time they were going through a, a team psychology meeting. And so I it was not very considerate of the, me or the massage therapist to do that in view of everyone else. So mm. Dan Burke came over and told me, you know, that's a fine, right? Um, but my back got worked on and I actually never had to pay the fine. So, uh, that was a double good thing for me. I, I thought maybe it back was because I know. see kinetics for calls, JJ, on that end. <laughs> I, I know that from the Indy 500 standpoint, I get fined anytime I don't refer to Denary as Sir Chris. And I thought maybe that was the same. <laughs> do, do you have that in your contract also? No, we don't. There was going to be a fine a, a few years ago. We were going to have a jar for saying. Fox Sports instead of Bally Sports, and I made it through a whole year without saying uh, Fox, and then like for some odd reason going to break once like a year and a half after that, I said um, Fox Sports, but uh, there was no fine for that either. Smothered chicken fine if, if anyone besides Quinn says that during a uh, <laughs> during a broadcast. Uh, JJ, going back to the Paul Tyrese thing, I, I encourage Pacers fans to to listen to it. I, I I think they'll enjoy it. I mean, I guess if you have like massive Paul George scar tissue, maybe you want to stay away from it. But I enjoyed the back and forth. It's clear that they are friends or certainly communicate on a pretty frequent basis. I enjoyed their stories about the organization. I enjoyed about their respective takes on their own games within the. NBA. I think it's a fun listen. I was looking forward to hearing it. I heard that it was going to happen at one point. And, you know, going into free agency, someone was asking what kind of player do the Pacers need. I said, well, they need Paul George uh, from about five years ago. I mean, that's the kind of guy that they really need to complete their roster. And so, obviously, things have changed. I, like you, I heard you talking on Monday about the podcast about Paul uh, you don't have any ill will or, you know, venom towards Paul. I've softened quite a bit. I think the first year or two, I was still a little frustrated. And then I think maybe even a few years later when um, the Anthony Davis story came out, I was kind of like, all right, do we have to just continue to pile on here? But I, 
I, I really like Paul. He's he was good for my career. We had some really good interviews, and I think deep down, he was just looking for a little bit of a different start. And I, who knows? Stranger things have happened, right? The Pacers, uh, they've had a lot of reunion stories. So Whoa. I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out at some point in the future. Talk about the what is his circus? And, and I don't know, JJ. What is Paul George's contractual status? I believe he has two years left, but at some point there's going to be another deal, maybe not as rich as he signed originally. And health is always the big concern right now. But I think him is healthier. Well, true. And, you know, the fact that you know he had that surgery, so his game is a little different than it was pre-injury. However, he's still effective. And, you know, I was talking with someone, think about the way he played that New Year's Eve game, you know, you can kind of forget individual random games in the course of the season. The Pacers won on New Year's Eve, but I think Paul had almost 50 points, if not 50, in that game. And so that was just this past season. He still has the capability to defend on the wing, knock down the three, get inside and score through contact as well as anyone. Um, age is a big thing. And, again, timelines are different. But um, – you know, it would not shock me. Uh, you, I wouldn't have said that two or three years ago, but who knows at this point if you're trying to find that next missing piece. He has a player option at the end of next season, but he is scheduled to make $48.7 million. How yeah, old is so he? He's got to be, what, 33, 34? Uh, he well, is 33 he years old. Yeah. So he's not going to get another contract paying him that much per season. But if he opts out at the end of next season, and again, I'm not saying this from a Pacers perspective, just from a, this is what Paul George is probably looking at. I'm sure he would like to get, after next year, another three or four, depending upon, you know, what level he's playing at, but would probably accept in the 20, high 20s range. I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see how he plays this year and what happens with the Clippers. But um, I don't think he's going to get in the 40s again. Paul George career earnings. Kevin Bowen, go. Your guess. <laughs> um, First know. guess, boom. 200? Two, Mark Dykton. 185. Jeremiah, career earnings. Paul George, go. Uh, what was what was Kevin's? I said 200. I'm going to go over, so I, I say 215, 220, 225. Yeah, now I think about it over. The first, first extension was 90 million, right, here? 265.3 million dollars. Yeah, he's done all right for himself. JJ, you a bigger fan of the in-game penalty for flops coming up for a technical free throw this year or the second challenge if you win the first challenge? I am a big fan of the flop penalty, although I'm a little concerned of how they're going to... Sounds like a lot of gray area to me. Yeah, because if there is contact, I actually heard, um, I think Joe Dumars on one of the broadcasts yesterday trying to explain it a little bit, and he said we can't, if there is contact, we can't say how hard the contact was. So I think what they're trying to do is eliminate the egregious, you know, a guy doesn't even get hit and flops and falls down. The biggest pet peeve that I have, and... You know, we saw it a lot from the team from the Eastern Conference that went to the NBA Finals as they shoot and then they just fall down before, like, it's part of their their follow-through sometimes. <laughs> and I don't know, you're always going to get a little contact, especially inside when you shoot, so I, I don't think those would be considered flops. But if you can get some of those out of the game, it is one of the things that bothers me. And I, I think it's bad, too, because you got the youngsters that are watching and you don't need to just fall down every time 
um, you get hit going to the basket because you are going to get a foul a lot of times when you do fall down, but it's not, I don't know, it's not as pure. However, um, if they get some of those out of the game, I will be happy. And even just the threat of fines or technical fouls, even though they had they had those flopping fines before, but you never heard them actually issue those fines. So I am happy to get some of that out of the game. I, If early on, maybe it'll be one of those things where there are a few technicals given just to kind of make a statement sort of like they do in the NFL with pass interference or some other things. Um, I'm okay to see those early. And just to get that mindset where you're not just trying to fall down and get a foul, you are trying to score. And if you get fouled, great. That, that's where I want to see it get to. And hopefully they can take some steps in that direction. I'm not dying to see more replay reviews, but I do think if you get a, a play where you wanted to challenge in the second quarter, you shouldn't then also not have one in the final minutes of the game when it, when it could really matter. So I do like what they did. There's no need to continue to, you know, oh, if you get two right, you can get your challenge back a third time. Just I think this is the perfect balance on the challenges, so I'm happy about that, but I'm really interested to see uh, the flopping and how that's executed. I, I think I'm actually in this whole conversation, Jeremiah, I'm most both impressed and incredulous over your assumption that Roman ladder is like a household term that everybody knows what that is. Do you know what that is, Kevin? A Roman no, ladder? No, no. I, I, he was saying a lot of stuff that I was like, dude. Is I the Roman ladder with a circus the, jargon? Is, yeah. is, is, it's like a cheerleading move, is it not? Where like one fella and then he's got two people, he's got his arms outstretched and he's holding on to two people and spinning around. Is that a Roman ladder? Well, I, I guess I only know the Peru Circus version of the Roman ladders, and it's, I mean, you know what a ladder is, correct? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it, I know what a Roman a candle is. Is it like a Roman candle? Are there pyrotechnics no, involved? No, there's no fire. Um, <laughs> but on the ladder, on the side, there are just three bars, and uh, the people on the outside are standing on the bars. So you got to be kind of strong. And I was the base of the of the ladder, but all you're really doing is keeping a good balance, and you're pushing out when the whistle blows, and then you're bringing it in um, when when the whistle blows again, and they're doing the tricks on the outside. So hmm. I, I guess I should invite everyone. They can they can Google circus Roman ladders, even Peru circus, and I'm sure you'll get some. Kind of like a delivery a you were mimicking there, like a baby being delivered there with some of the lingo you were just using. <laughs> I know, as I started to describe it, I was thinking I maybe could have used better words, but oh well. Well, do we get a schedule release? What? Is that typically mid to late August? I, I kind of forget when the NBA releases their uh, regular season schedule. Yeah, it's usually about the second week of August, and I think last year it may have even been delayed a week because they were uh, concerned about what team Kevin Durant was going to play on. I think, And then they just decided, well, it doesn't really matter. We'll just have to make the schedule what it is. I'm, I'm fascinated to see... They have all a lot of different variables when they put the schedule together with arena availability and, you know, look for the Pacers this season. There are a number of concerts in November and December at Gambridge Fieldhouse, so some really good acts, but those are nights the Pacers can't play home games. And then you look at February, usually the team is that hosts the All-Star game is not in town the week before that. And I believe the NCAA tournament is going to be at Gambridge Fieldhouse as well in March. So, that's just one team of 30. The NBA has a lot to work through. And then you throw in uh, the variables with the midseason tournament or the in-season tournament where you've got to play those pod teams on Tuesdays and Fridays in November. And then you've got to leave the open dates in, in the first weekend of December for the teams that make the Final Four. I do not envy the schedule makers. I do know they use 
computers, simulations to be able to put all that together. But as for a date, it is one of my favorite dates of the year, especially when we're back traveling, because it does set my six-month calendar in motion, and I know where I'm going to be when. And it's usually that second week of August at some point. So you can look for NBA Today or NBA TV, whenever they put a little random special program on on a Wednesday or Thursday in the second week of August, it's probably when it's going to be. Do you have to be from Peru to be in the circus, or do they have, like, imports from Tipton and stuff? I believe you have to live in Miami County. Oh, okay. Now, that's where Ruth Riley was from, right? The Notre Dame legend? Yeah, she went to North Miami High School, but when you you drive through Peru, uh, there's a big mural for Ruth Riley uh, just under... Over the under the overpass, um, right near Harvey Hinkelmeyer's, another iconic Peru establishment. So, well, what a riveting conversation this has been, JJ. About <laughs> I, Peru. JJ, I'm going to the circus. When is it again? It, it, the first show is Saturday. I believe there's one again on Sunday. Actually, they might even have Family Night Friday. But you really need to go either mo- from Monday to the following Saturday because that's when the festival is also downtown. So not only can you catch the show at like 7 o'clock in the evening, but you go at like 5 o'clock and the Peru Lions Club has the best tenderloin you've ever had. I thought you said no animals. (laughs) The Lions Club. Come on now, Jake. Last, last question, JJ. Curtis says in the YouTube chat that his cab driver told him that Peru's got the best disc golf course around. Uh, is that true? Well, it is good. I, I don't know how to compare it to other disc golf courses. I think there's one of them by Som, isn't there? By Som Water Park and Som Golf Course? I've only been on two, but I did play the Peru disc golf course by, uh, I think it's Maconaqua Park and summer PE class. That was one of our activities. So oh, that sounds uh, awesome. A lot of gems in Miami County. I'm glad we could we could expose some of those today. Love. I'm sure this is right up Jake's alley. I, once I mentioned circus, I knew we were going to go down oh, this yeah. direction. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's beautiful. JJ, great stuff, man. Enjoy the rest of the quiet time this summer and uh, always enjoy our conversations. All right, Jake, If you are you really going to go to the circus? Wait, I, listen, I just watched online. I don't know. Is it in the school gym? Because, like, the, the facility itself looks amazing. Oh, it's not the school gym. It's the actual it, – I mean, it's the circus building. Right, yeah, okay. It, it is. The problem it, is I'm, I'm gone. You. Here's the thing, JJ. I'm gone tomorrow – and through Sunday in Toronto for IndyCar, and then the week, and the next weekend I'm gone Friday to Sunday in Iowa for IndyCar. All right. So Monday night through Thursday night are all going to be good nights in in Peru. And if you go downtown, walk around, get yourself an elephant ear. But I recommend the tenderloin. There's usually nickel pitch, which you can win or lose. You know, thirty five cents, um, which is always one of my favorites. Can I get stops. a PBR at Homer's? Is it still open? Homer's is not still open, unfortunately. Uh, shout out to Homer, but um, Bailey, uh, I'm at, what? <laughs> it's Bowling not Homer Bailey. Oh no, okay. <laughs> but but there are places you can get a PBR. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure at yes. the old Peru yeah. fair you could get that's a whole just lot of one of the carnies yeah. at the fair. Better, better sure notice, better notice breakfast in Peru. Yes, that's right. <laughs> get a whole yeah. lot more than just uh-huh. your average PBR there. JJ, great stuff. Thank yeah. you. Okay.